Welcome, everyone. As people continue to arrive and settle, uh, let's uh, sit as a welcoming to everyone, including those who don't come to sit, and to welcome everything. Here's the bell which invites our sitting. As we sit in silence together and yet distributed uh, throughout the world, there's a question of whether we're together or, or not, and are we doing anything or not, sitting silently, facing a computer. There is actually no such thing as an incomplete moment. There's no such thing. As an incomplete moment, incompleteness would be an idea that we hold. And how our current experience doesn't quite match up. And yet each breath It's a full breath, no matter whether it's deep or shallow. Each moment is unfolding according to all the causes and conditions, which means everything. Everything is unfolding around you, through you, for you. No matter what your thoughts about it. Things you prefer, things that you don't. Things that you ignore, things that you become obsessed with. But all of that is also just part of the unfolding. So we stop. And we sit and appreciate this mystery, that which we cannot actually fully comprehend, and yet we're completely living.
of this silent sitting is far from nothing because it's the gateway to appreciating everything. And in just a moment, I'll ring the bell to end this sitting time. And we'll chant the verse of the robe. which reflects this reality. The first word of the chant is vast. And the last word of the chant is being. We are together this vast being. And it's what all spiritual practice, all religion points us to. No matter what the struggles and difficulties perplexities, tragedies, and joys. How do we not forget the vast being in which we're living? How do we stay close to that unknowable and yet comforting awe This is our practice. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. <clears throat> the f first Dharma talk that I ever heard uh, in a temple or practice center <clears throat> was at Green Gulch. Uh, farm, which is the uh, rural practice center for the group of temples and monasteries um, of the San Francisco Zen Center. And the abbot at that time, Reb Anderson, was giving the talk. This is back in the mid, early 90s. And he said at the end of the talk, I, I actually don't remember anything else he said in the talk now, all these years later. But at the end, he, there was a small pause and he offered a question. 
as his conclusion. And the question was, is it ordinary or is it holy? Is it ordinary or is it holy? This kind of division, of course, is the dualistic way of our mind. And the gap that's caused by that separation is what our practice aims to bridge or explore or plumb the depth of what's sacred, what is not. When do we feel like we're inside the temple and when are we outside? And as I was contemplating these things this, this week, I came across um, a poem which are often prompts for me, as you know, and from one of the, um, I laughingly say, patron saints of, of our practice, Mary Oliver, um, and a poem I'd not seen in quite a long time. I'll, I'll share it with you so we can uh, read through it together. And the title uh, asked the question that I'm suggesting that we contemplate. Where does the temple begin? Where does it end? Let's just read her words. There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long the wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. And it can keep you as busy as anything else and happier. The snake slides away, the fish jumps like a little lily out of the water and back in. The goldfinches singing from the unreachable top of the tree. I look morning to night. I'm never done looking. Looking, I mean, not just standing around, but standing as though with your arms open and thinking, maybe something will come some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from an old tree. <laughs> They're all in this too. And now I'll tell you the truth. Everything in the world comes at least closer and cordially like the nibbling tinsel eyed fish, the unlooping snake, like goldfinches, little dolls of gold fluttering around the corner of the sky of God, the blue air. Where does the temple begin? Where does it end? 
once again, these ideas we have about how we divide up reality based on how we feel or think about things. She begins with, if you, and if you don't mind, I, I want to walk through the poem in the ways that I've been walking through it these last few days. There are things you can't reach. There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them. I often speak of the way in which our practice invites us to become intimate with and open to and follow what I call the embodied inconceivable. That which actually moves through your body is your body. You realize your body as the body of life, which is inconceivable and yet realizable. You can wake up when you hear certain kinds of music, see certain kinds of sounds, touch a baby's skin. Things that, that move through your body so powerfully that you definitely feel as if you're in the temple and you begin to realize there's no edge. So there are things you actually can't reach, but you can reach out to them. And all day long, this is our practice, to feel the longing, Suzuki Roshi's inmost request, he would say, what's that deep thing that's calling from inside? And reaching, not in some a physical or intellectual way so much, certainly not a philosophical or a theological way, but reaching with our, our breath and our heart is there things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long. And then of course, the images from nature that Mary Oliver uses, the wind, the bird flying away, these ineffable moments of life. And then she says the idea of God the idea of something larger, the idea of liberation, of freedom, the idea of goodness, of love, the, the idea of whatever your heart and mind reaches to that is goodness, that's creative, that isn't bounded by your ideas, that's beyond that. And it can keep you as busy as anything else and happier. <laughs> this feels like a life of vow to me. Uh, what can keep us busy uh, and happy? F faith in that which we can't reach. Refuge in what's always and already here. So we can ask ourselves, where do we put our energy? Where do we focus our life? What do we fill our consciousness with? What, what do you bet your life on? It is keeping you busy. 
but maybe happier if we practice and sit and open to that which seems in some ways ineffable and yet is the most central and simple thing like a snake sliding away, a fish jumping, like a little lily, such a beautiful image, out of the water and back in. Have you watched them on a pond sometime? Uh, as the sun comes and they open above the water and then close again and go back down like a breath, opening, closing. And the goldfinches, as they sing from the unreachable top of the tree. You know, nature is endlessly showing you itself. And what we forget is we're endlessly showing everyone else ourselves. Our coming and going, our opening, our closing. Really what we see as we look out in nature and forget that we're part of sometimes is we're seeing the flux and flow of impermanence and interdependence, the dance of what life actually is. We use these words, impermanence, mutual causality, these big words, but it's just life. Always moving, always changing, always alive. And that unreachable top of the tree is not meant to be reached. It's not a failure or a limitation. In some ways, it's because there actually isn't a top, that there's always more. There's always space and possibility that matches the space and possibility of our deepest longings. So she says, I look. Morning, tonight, I'm never done with looking. This is our continuous practice. I sit, I care for my family, I work, I protect others, I play, I tend the garden, I look morning to night. I'm never done with my life. But not just living it, looking. And she says, looking, I mean, not just standing around but standing as though with your arms open. We sit silently, not just sitting around, waiting, but welcoming, offering, receiving, not waiting. And thinking, maybe something will come. And once again, she uses her imagery from nature. Some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from any old tree. They're all in this too. Everything is in this. Nothing is separate. Where does the temple begin? Where does it end? I'm currently reading a book that I'm sure many of you have read, The Overstory. And in it, there's a line, Richard Powers, he says, there is no knowing for a fact. 
the only dependable things are humility and looking. The only dependable things are humility and looking. There's no knowing for a fact. The embodied inconceivable. Humility. Not caught in the self-centered dream. Body and mind falling away. And looking. Continuous practice. Continue uh, being awake, basically. Being attentive, mindful, and present. As you think, maybe something will come. Some shining coil of wind, a few leaves from any old tree. They're all in this too. The smallest things can be the occasion of awakening. During a break in our retreat in the Swiss mountains, in our last, last retreat a couple of years ago there, after 10 years of, of meeting, um, in the Valais region of Martigny, Chemin de Suisse. I was walking one afternoon in the fall on a road high above the little village where we were. And the afternoon fall light was at an angle through these immense trees and quite a steep, um, on the side of quite a steep hill or mountain. And I stopped for a minute to look down into the valley below me, and all, the valley was very long. I could almost see back to Lake Geneva. It was so long from where we were. <clears throat> and then only a few feet in front of me, through a shaft of light, came one leaf. And we've all seen things like this. It's not particularly unusual. But there wasn't a big gust of wind. There wasn't a flurry of leaves falling from the trees. It was one leaf. And in that moment, in the midst of a week of practice and meeting with students and offering what I could and receiving all that they brought, that leaf was everything. And she says, and now I tell you the truth, everything in the world comes. At least closer. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is missing. Life isn't holding itself back with some idea about whether you deserve or don't deserve or whether it should be. It's full. It's completely itself. And cordially. I like that image that suggests a kind of at least kindness, or maybe compassion, um, at least with some respect. Like, and then she uses some more images of the nibbling tinsel-eyed fish, the unlooping snake, like goldfinches, little dolls of gold, fluttering around the corner of the sky. These images of specific and precise things not just the fish, but its eye. Not just the snake, but the way it moves. Because we enter the universal, we enter the temple by taking a specific step with something precise, not something esoteric. 
and like goldfinches, little dolls of gold fluttering. And, and now she moves into imagery. Called forward by the life that we step into. The boundless awe, really, surrounding and penetrating it all. The divine and the specific. You remember the question, is it ordinary? Or is it holy? Where did the temple begin? Where does the temple stop? Fluttering around the corner of the sky of God, the blue air, the sky of God, the blue air, the spacious fullness, completeness, and wholeness of life. It's quite a, a, a poem and there's so much in it, or at least, <laughs> at least there was for me. And I hope that um, my sharing what it opened to me has been in some ways useful uh, to you. There's a, a Sakito Kisen, who was an eighth century Zen master in China is one of the ancestors in our lineage. It's a translation of something that he, he said, common people and sages are the same. The mind and the heart reaches everywhere without limit. It's not constrained by the limits of consciousness. It's not constrained by the limits of consciousness. If you can comprehend this, then there's nothing you lack. Well, he, <laughs> who knows about the actual words in Chinese because it loops back on itself if you can comprehend the incomprehensible. But he says, common people and sages are the same. Are we ordinary or are we holy? The mind and heart, the essence of our being reaches everywhere without limit. It's not constrained by our thoughts about it. And if you can comprehend this, and I don't think he means understand in your head, this is the embodied inconceivable with the realization of this reality, then there is nothing that you lack. <clears throat> I want to add before I close something that is a, a version of something I wrote a while back in response to this kind of tug. It's a little different, but one of the ways in which we divide is between what we think of as the psychological and the spiritual. And in response to this kind of question, this is what came out. We think we're a problem to be solved. You notice this? We often think we're, we're a problem to be solved, consciously or unconsciously, we have this uneasy feeling that something is missing. Something's not quite right. Like this can't be it. From a psychological point of view, we think the problem must be our conditioning, you know, our history, our family, our traumas. And if we could only identify and work with our stuff, 
then we might finally find some relief from our shaky identity and establish a strong sense of self that is robust and healthy. That's the psychological approach. Now, from a spiritual point of view, we either uh, maybe long to affirm a belief system we can trust in, believe in, rely on forever. Or maybe we feel we must dedicate ourselves to a set of wholesome practices which will eventually end our suffering and, and then assuage this nagging existential sense of lack, something's wrong. The problem is that all too often we either work endlessly towards psychological self-improvement on the one hand, or become a perpetual seeker looking for nirvana on the other. Both paths have their benefit, but both paths to this kind of salvation are flawed because they both miss the shadowy aspect of this very pervasive sense of lack, of something being wrong. Our deepest fears are not that you know, we'll never be good enough or we'll never shed our neurotic struggles or even the big one that we will eventually die. The shadow fear, the one we least want to face is that this sense of self we rely on for our identity and steadiness is in truth groundless and without substance. It's not what we think it is. Nothing is missing. We're always perfectly ourselves. We're fully alive. Even as we're dying, that's what aliveness looks like in that moment. The thing we cling to the most, our sense of an independent self in relation to the world out there, is not worthy of our faith and trust. We cling to our conditioning, the constructedness of ourself, our stories, even our best spiritual identities, we cling to those and forsake our true nature. Nothing is missing, nothing is hidden. E.E. E. Cummings in his brief verse, Seeker of Truth. Seeker of truth, follow no path. All paths lead where truth is here. Seeker of truth, follow no path. All paths lead where truth is here. And once again, in the 18th century, one of our ancestors, Hakuin, how do we do this in practice? He said, make your upper garments into a monk's robe. Make your chair, your sitting cushion. Make the mountains, rivers, and great earth the sitting platform. 
Make the whole universe your own personal meditation cave. This is the true practice of the sages of the past and of today. And we aren't different than the sages of the past. And this is the temple. You can set yourself in it or out of it, but that's only an idea. Or you can wake up to it and receive the blessings and serve everyone attending. And that's our job. And that view of life is full of care and love and fierceness and steadfastness, qualities that I hope most of us want in this life for each other, for ourselves. So if this has called forward some questions or things that you'd like to discuss, please raise your hand and let's spend some time uh, connecting. I'd love to, to meet you. I recognize that flower. It will open and transform into a fraught, I believe. The delay suggests we might have some technical problems. So we get a chance to. To sit and. Even though your video isn't coming on if right. If you're able to hear me, you could unmute your microphone and let's see if we can speak. Ah, Kathy. Ah. I, I guess it didn't work with a friend. Um, I'm unmuted, yes? Yes, you are. I hear you good, well. Good, Thank good. You. Um, I had two things, actually. One is from last week. Yes. Because re remember you were trying to close your small th thumbnail picture and you couldn't and you lost the screen. I wanted to let you know that at least on my iPad, we could close the thumbnail. Yes. Uh -huh. And so I thought that was a great metaphor for you can't do it alone, but we can do it together. Exactly. And, and that's, I think I, I spoke about, I, I was trying not to see myself, but I ended up realizing losing everyone else, but. Right. Right. But, but we could do that to, to make the screen more user-friendly, so to speak, when you were showing something. So and interesting. Then the, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. 
It is. Yeah, it's so much, it's, I think it uh, reson resonates with Mary Oliver's poem that so much of what we do and see and live is a metaphor for, for life as it is. And that's a, that's a technical um, example. Mm -hmm. But I, I had something else, because as I was sitting today, um, the repentance came to mind, you know, all my ancient tangled karma from beginning was greed, hate, and delusion. And then I had this response, wait a minute, but what about my resilience? What about my strength, my ability to pick myself up and try anew? And mm -hmm. isn't that part of my karma? Yep. So I, so I want you to... Comment on that if you have anything to say about that. Everything's included. Yeah, but, but it's not expressed in the, in the chant. Well, it, it is, but people think um, so much about karma being like sin or something wrong. Right, right. Instead of we're conditioned beings, that's what this is. Okay. And so when we say all my ancient... When we say twisted karma, one of the translations, we talk about the way things are um, kind of messed with by, by what we do. Mm -hmm. But it is tangled because it's interdependent. Mm -hmm. From beginningless, it's not our fault. It's right. what we inherit. Uh, but we carry it in our body, speech, and mind. And I now fully avow. My um, uh, nephew, who writes me letters quite, quite frequently, has this very interesting and unusual mind um, because he has a, a special kind of mind, uh -huh. uh, Asperger's and some other things. And he writes letters and he signs them these days. Your awesome nephew. <laughs> it's so, it's so lovely. He's uh, very uninhibited about that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think when we, when we chant, I now fully avow. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I'm a lowly worm and I've my, I'm a terrible person. It means I'm in a, open to everything. Okay. We look as if with our arms open, like Mary okay, Oliver, to everything. So we need to hold what I'm thinking as you're talking is we need to hold the whole backdrop, so to speak, and and this is you just let go of the idea of backdrop. It's all one okay. contingent movement flow. We select things that look like problems, things that look like gifts okay. and good things. And that's fine. That's required in our life. We need to be able to make those distinctions. Okay. But when we practice, uh, it's as if we um, step into this larger space. Okay. Okay. I, I, if you've been to the, the cloisters in New York City? I have. You know, it's so uh, interesting. And um, your background is uh, a Catholic family, right? Yes. Yes. So one of the things that I didn't realize going to small Baptist churches in the South is the beauty of the architecture, which I wasn't around as a kid. And so when I went to the cloisters, I could see it other places, but there it really struck me because there's nothing in the church. They're just mm -hmm. these old structures that mm -hmm. are brought from Europe. And suddenly I realized when you walk along and then suddenly you get up to what the altar is the apps they call i guess that yes yeah it's if physically when you step into that area by the altar it right it opens physically right right and i realized what it was meant 
to inspire and to show right. us that if we right. step in, it's much more vast. It's like the top of Mary Oliver's tree, the unreachable mm -hmm. top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I'm thinking when I, when I say that the repentance, I'm containing all of that. And I'm also think, saying, and this too, my greed, hate, and delusion, because yeah. it requires that kind of care. That's right. And when you say all, you mean all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was, it was interesting, the, the strong response I had to it. Mm -hmm. Like, but wait a minute. This, is, this isn't everything. That's you right. Know? We wake up to the ways in which greed, hate, and delusion might distort or twist mm -hmm. or tangle up all the basic goodness. But our foundation is basic wakefulness. Mm -hmm. Our mm -hmm. Buddha nature is our, our essence. So we do mm -hmm. wake up to those things. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't left us. Right. Right. Good question. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, needed to, I needed to speak it. <laughs> Thank you. It's a good one. I'm sure others need to hear it, too. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Ah, Clayton. Can you hear me? Yeah. How are your lungs? <clears throat> My lungs are COVID free now. Really? Um, they're not back to normal, but they're working a lot better enough for me to go swimming this morning. So that is really lovely. And I, I um, I'm very- is that The whole family? What? Is the family back together? Yes, we're all together, and it's it's a, an incredible thing. I've always thought I wanted more alone time, and now I can't wait to snuggle with my ten year old. Um, and I, I just wanted to thank everyone because I got so much Afamata support, and it was it was the best medicine. It really was so helpful um all the sweet messages and knowing that i had folks there that i could reach out to and it, it i went down the rabbit hole like i said last time of of fear of looking up too much on the internet paying attention to these terrible stories about people my age getting blood clots you know, four months after they've recovered. And, and that fear is what I'm very curious about right now. Um, I'll just tell you when I was in the, the kind of the peak of not being able to breathe and I didn't know what was the difference between what I was actually feeling and what were all the stories and media and uncertainty of the world, all the second and third and fourth arrows that were hitting me, there was no way for me to really discern what my body was going through versus all the stuff out circulating. And, um, and Sandra helped me because I was freaking out. I couldn't mm -hmm. control my fear very well. I think I was paying too much attention to my computer. And um, she told me the acupressure points that I already told you guys about. Um, but 
then she just said, are you afraid? And I said, yeah, I actually am. And I hadn't admitted that. And then she said, well, you can choose. She didn't say this. She said, don't be afraid, Clayton. But in her beautiful Spanish accent, you know, Clayton, don't be afraid. <laughs> and it hit me like this amazing knife, like a nice knife of like, could I really choose not to be afraid? Like, can, can I make that choice? I'm sure Suzuki Roshi, if he had COVID, he would just sit with what he was feeling and not let everything spin out, um, the physical feeling. And I couldn't really do that. And so my question to you, like when Sandra said that, it was this epiphany, like maybe I could just choose to not be afraid. And I, I'm, not, I'm still struggling with that, you know, because now that the acute part of the illness is over and I'm dealing with not being yet back to my former self cognitively or physically, and I, you know, I'm different. And now I'm afraid of that not going away and never feeling optimal again. So can I just choose not to be afraid right now? And I, I think of it a little bit differently. And I think it's some of what Sandra was probably saying, because you realize, and you could feel it. She was not saying, don't be afraid. You know, she's not no, admonishing no. you. No, no she's no. basically saying, I love you. I care about you. Don't let fear carry you away from me. And so the choice, every, if you're a human being, all of us, we're going to feel afraid. That's part of being human. The choice is how we relate to the fear when it comes. And are we going to essentially practice it, bow down to it, let it be the man. And sometimes we do, and we see where it takes us, where it, where it does carry us. But if we can stay awake just a little as it's happening, we can pay attention to what's going on. And many of the colons, um, people will, the students will say, well, this is good, that's bad. They'll try to make it dualistic. And the teacher will say, no, no, it's not about that. Just don't get distracted. Don't get caught up by. I was at a New Year's Eve party one time and the, the host, we were not worried too much about litter in those days, had all these toy balloons full of helium with strings on them. And you could get a little piece of paper and write down something you wanted to release for the new year and tie it on. We let them go at the top of this big house in Westlake Hills. And one of my good friends, um, Carolyn was next to me and she said, what'd you write? And I said, fear. And she said, oh, honey, get over that. I said, you're always gonna be afraid. You got what you let go of is the fear of fear. Yeah. And I don't think that's something you can actually do alone. You need a Sandra to say, I'll be with you. Don't, yeah, let, it, I, don't let it take you away from me. Yeah. I think that, well, it's just like what Peg wrote in a letter she wrote to all of us about terror Mm -hmm. If you're on the bridge together, like if you're willing to admit that you're afraid. Yeah. I'm, I'm not afraid anymore, actually. Just, <laughs> it just was, her words were not an admonishment. They were an invitation. And That's it was, right. 
it was really helpful. And because um, I, I couldn't admit I was afraid to other people because it would freak them out, you know, like my family. I didn't want them, but I, it was really helpful. And it was just through Zoom, you know, but it was, was, um, was asking you to remain in relationship with her, not to remain in relationship with your scary thoughts and with what you're seeing on the internet. Yeah. And that, that's the part you can choose. Where are you going to put your heart down? Where are you going to have faith? Remember sadha, the word in the Pali canon that's translated as faith in English uh -huh. means to place the heart on. Where are you yeah. going to put your heart? Yeah. And, and I like what you just said about, do I want to stay in relationship with my crazy thoughts? Because yeah. when, you, when you're locked up in your room by yourself with your computer, that's kind of an easy place to go when you're feeling like the dementors are taking that's over right. your, your whole body. And so when and, you're feeling good, that's why you practice. So you'll have that available when the going gets rough. Yeah. Yeah. The dementors. Well, thank you. This was helpful. Um, Good, good questions too for everyone. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Good to see you healthy and smiling. Thank you. It's great to, I'm not back to normal, but I'm, I'm definitely um, out of the woods. Right. Thank you. Thanks everyone. <laughs>
Yes, I kind of I kind of realized that just the other day that that's the practice part is you can daily. here's the here's the distinction. The way I learned from the Christian point of view when I was a kid is to believe in something. But when I started practicing Buddhism, I realized, oh, the request wasn't to believe in Jesus, is to put on the mind of Christ. Oh, yeah. That's different. It's a practice to be in deep communion with, not just worship. Nothing wrong yeah. with worship, but it's, it's a, it's a, that's the actual practice. Yes, I get it. I get it. My question, I'm glad that Kathy brought up the verse on repentance mm -hmm. because I was reading that a few weeks ago and my question is, why would that make me feel so good to, to, to read that and to take it in and it, it gave me a great sense of peace and calm and release, relief. And I, why would that make me feel good to? Well, I don't know, Susan, but I, I don't I, either. I'll tell you <laughs> but why, it did. Me, but I'll tell you why it makes me feel good. Because it's so relieving to face the truth. Yeah. When you say, I now fully avow, I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to stop distorting. I'm going to stop trying to put on a good face. I'm going to stop all that and actually tell the truth. And, and all the positive things, like everything, I'm going to be honest with myself and with the world and stand up in the middle of my life, say, this is me. That is so relieving. Rather than trying to be good or whatever. And the other part, and you touched on it with Kathy, is about how... It has come down to us through the ages, through our our ancestors, our families. It's all beautiful and twisted and messed up and perfect and wrong. And it's all mixed up there. And to avow that, I just felt a such a relief. That's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. And to say, oh, I'm a human. That's how that goes. Mm-hmm. And so that's the beginning. That's not the whole, then, then it's like, okay, now I have something to work with. Now I have something to practice. And even if we, I'm compelled to go back, we're kind of at the end of our time here, but if you go back to in the gospels and the Jesus story, that's what that was. Everything was a mess. And yet he continued and said, well, but this is what you do in the middle of a mess. This is the kindness that you offer. This is the steadfastness. This is that you just continue to offer what's good. And a lot of people didn't like that. It got him killed um, because it was so radical and so true. Well, that was the message of the gospel, wasn't right. it? It was the new life that you can have a new life. And, you right. can be and that's free. what we're saying. You can be awake and more free and liberated from all the old beliefs and ideas and constrictions. But first you have to admit who you are. And that gives you some relief. It did. Yeah. It was kind of odd. And so now, since we're at the end of our time, we're going to chant the, um, uh, the actual practice. So thanks, Susan. Thank you, Flint. Mm -hmm. And the four practice principles really cover what we've been talking about. Caught in the self-centered dream, 
only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much. As always, I'm grateful for your uh, participation, your presence, and also your, your support. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes such a huge difference in all the things that you do. There's a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Um, please feel free to do a one-time contribution or more. And directly after here, if you're looking to um, be able to speak with people all over the world and all of our Sanghas, um, please feel free to join us at the After Inquiry meeting. Um, the link is on the Appamata calendar. Thank you.